As we do each and every time this week, we welcome on our friend of the show, Matthew Postens, uh, joining us here on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. As we uh, take a look at the week that was and the weekend that is to come in Big 12 basketball, uh, Matthew, I want to talk and start off with what is right now to me the best story in the Big 12, and that is the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Last week, we were talking about this team. Are they making things back up? Are they going to make a run here? They had won two games in a row. They have now won four straight, this Red Raiders team. Uh, they are one of the hottest teams in the league, this side of Kansas. They beat Oklahoma on Tuesday night. I mean, are we talking now about a Red Raiders team that can make an NCAA tournament appearance? I don't want to say run, but appearance. I, I think it's possible. I mean, one of the things about this conference this year is that I, I think there's a chance you could have nine teams in the league. And I think part of that is going to be, you know, this conference's overall net rating, uh, Ken Palm rating, you know, lifting everybody up. And, and Tech may be the team that can take advantage of that with this, you know, four-game winning streak. They've beaten two ranked teams in the process. Really, you got to go back to the LSU game when they finally got off that long losing streak in Big 12 play, they've actually won six of their last eight, and they've beaten three ranked teams in the process. So I think the the return of Fardow's AMAC has really allowed them to, to fully unlock what they wanted to do from the very beginning of the season was I think they wanted to play through him in the high post and allow him to shoot, to drive, to make things happen for other players. As I was watching that Oklahoma State game earlier this week, you know, just some of the things they were able to do on back cuts and back screens with AMAC holding the ball up on the high post. Really, I think that really kind of conceptualized what Mark Adams had in mind at the beginning of the season. Pop Isaacs is back at guard. Kevin O'Banner continues to play very consistently. Uh, Devon Harmon and Jalen Tyson's play has really come on the past few weeks. I mean, they have a real high-quality starting five now that's playing some really good basketball. And as they go into their last three games with TCU, Kansas, and Oklahoma State, I still think they need to win two of those last three games going into the big 12 tournament to really have a legitimate shot at getting selected, no matter what happens in Kansas city. Uh, it'd be better for them if they could win one or two more games in KC, but I think they've got to win two of their last three to have a realistic shot at getting selected. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they uh, go two and three in their next five games, that would be, let's just say uh, one and two, the next three games and then they split, they win their first game in the big 12 tournament. They lose, let's say in the quarterfinals on Thursday, is that enough or is that going to rely on what's going on with the rest of the conference and also the rest of the country? Yeah, I think they'll have to rely on some things at that point. The, the thing that, that I'm looking at is I'm looking at their conference wins record. They, they've won five conference games now. And the reason that's important is because if you look at the bare minimum that teams who have been selected as an at-large out of this conference in the last five non-COVID years, the lowest number of conference games they've won is seven. Iowa State did it last year. Oklahoma did it about three or four years ago. To me, if they have six or fewer going into the Big 12 tournament, they're probably going to have to win the Big 12 tournament. If they've got seven going into the Big 12 tournament, then I think they might have a chance regardless of what happens in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, it's it's really hard to say. Uh, we've just never had a Big 12 quite like this before. We, we've always had one or two bad teams. There mm -hmm. really isn't a bad team in this conference this year. And, and, and the rest of the league can kind of 
potentially carry Texas Tech with them if they get to 18 or 19 wins. That's very true. Now, if you look at the top of this league, uh, the hottest team you have to say are the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, you look at them right now, they're on a five-game winning streak. They're 11-4 and four in league play. They're tied at the top with the Longhorns. So, I mean, this team, you go back a couple of weeks, and we're looking at them, and they're 6-4 and four in league play. They now have ripped off five straight wins. We knew that this team under Bill Self was going to have some turnover, trying to figure things out with the pieces lost from last year, Brown and Remy Martin and McCormick, and they hit that lull. What has changed? What has Bill Self done over the last two and a half weeks or so to turn this thing around? Well, I think one thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago is they're starting to tap into their bench a little bit more. But I think more importantly, you know, Grady Dick has kind of gotten out of that lull as well. He had a period right around their losing streak where he was struggling to create offense and, and really kind of hitting into that, you know, freshman wall that we kind of talk about with true freshmen when they try to make that transition to the college game, they, they run into a lull too. And, you know, the last couple of weeks I've seen him, whether he's scoring, rebounding, defending, I see a player who's got more energy back uh, a player who's got his shot back especially from the three-point line and i think that has really helped them overall i mean when jalen wilson is off grady dick seems to be able to step up kevin mccullers played very well too over the past two to three weeks um you go back to that first kansas state game where he didn't score and he fouled out you know bill self said after that game we need more from kevin mcculler and over the last month he's really delivered so you know the first half of the season was really defined by the excellence of Jalen Wilson. I think the second half of their seasons really become defined by, you know, you know, squeezing out some efficient offense from their bench. And then the, the resurgence of play from Grady Dick and Kevin McCuller and the consistency of Dewan Harris running the point. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I'm looking at this league right now at the top and I'm saying, okay, uh, every week it feels like our conversation changes right now. It feels like a clear one, two with Kansas and Texas. Uh, but then I'm saying, hey, last week we were wondering if Kansas State was hitting that lull. They get a huge win over Baylor uh, this week. They've now won two in a row. They beat Iowa State on the Saturday game. So now I'm looking at K-State and saying, have the Wildcats figured things out? I mean, have they? What are you looking at right now with Jerome Tang after this team lost four of five games before last weekend? Yeah, it seems like every team in this conference goes through a lull at some point. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's just kind of the nature of things when you look at, you know, just how difficult this conference is. Um, the thing I've seen the last two, three games, even the, you know, even the losses that they had to Oklahoma and Texas Tech, I'm I'm, I'm seeing a little more energy from uh, their two big players, Marquise Noel and, and Keontae Johnson. They both had big games the other night against Baylor. But, you know, the the other players that they've really come to rely on are starting to play better now and starting to play better together. Desi Sills, uh, Naquan Tomlin, um, uh, David Nesson, uh, Ish Masood. Um, they're getting good play from Cam Carter as well. I mean, they, they've gotten back to a point where they can play eight or nine guys on this team and, and not lose a whole lot. And I don't think they were in that place a few weeks ago. Um, so they, they've kind of come out of this out of this lull because, you know, kind of like Kansas, they're they're getting efficient work out of their bench. Um, you know, getting David Nesson back healthy a few weeks ago shouldn't be underestimated because he really losing him for a few games really kind of threw off their rotation overall. And they've taken him out of the starting lineup and they've moved him into the bench bench role. And he's really kind of excelled there as well. So they're 
I see the I see a team that's starting to play loose and free and easy again, like they were early in conference play, and, and that makes them a pretty dangerous team when you think about the Big Twelve tournament in a couple of weeks. So, which one of these two teams? You got Baylor and Iowa State that suddenly find themselves on two game losing streaks, and we we're talking about them um, as maybe you know a top contender. That has not transpired just because you go on a two game losing streak in this league and you're out of the mix. Uh, which one of those two teams is more concerning to you right now, based on their their two game losing streaks. Hmm. That's a good question because, you know, both teams are kind of built the same way. They're very reliant on the offense from their guards. Um, their, their inside players are, are solid, but they're really more, you know, secondary players on the offensive end. Um, I, I think Baylor might concern me a little bit more because they're not a very good defensive team. I mean, no matter how well or how poorly Iowa State plays, they're an elite defensive team. They're very consistent in that area. When Baylor's offense isn't clicking, it really kind of exposes the fact that they're they're not as good on ball defense as they've been the past couple of years when they had Davion Mitchell and Maceo Teague and those players. Um, they've kind of mixed their 1-3-1 or their 1-1-3 zone back into what they're doing on the defensive end. And it works at times. You know, they 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 managed to create some turnovers and some create some traps out of it. But they're not the intense man-to-man defensive team they were a couple of years ago. So they're the ones that I'm a little more worried about because you know when you think about a an NCAA tournament game, if if your if your shooting's not there, if you're not clicking from the three-point line, which is Baylor's bread and butter, you've got to have something else you can rely on. Iowa State, if they're struggling from the three-point line, can rely on their defense and kind of make it a you know kind of make it a, a bludgeon type of game. You know, make it a, a fifty. 55, 60 point game. Baylor doesn't have that capability and that exposes them a little bit more. I think when you think about the NCAA tournament. So right now, I mean, you look at this league and we were just talking earlier about the possibility of nine teams in the NCAA tournament. We know, and it is crazy the amount of quad one wins that this league has compared to any other league in the country. When you look at the numbers, I'm going to pull them up here and share them with the audience. Uh, This league has... 73 quad one wins. The next closest conference is the Big Ten with 59. The SEC has 45. The ACC has 32. The Big East has 30. The Pac-12 is 28. I mean, Joe Lenardi, Fran Fischella, we hear these guys just wax poetic about this league as they should. But for you, covering college basketball as you have for years, watching this conference as closely as anybody – what is it about this league that just is making this year so different, so special? And this is really historic stuff we're watching. Yeah, it's, you know, everybody's playing at, at such a high level, even even Oklahoma. And I know it doesn't look that way because they have a, an under 500 record now. But, you know, this is a team that, that beat the number one team in the country right now in Alabama. So uh, you can't really discount, you know, how you know, how good the Sooners are, you know, Every game, basically every game in this conference is a quad one or a quad two win or a loss. And when you go to a Kansas, a Baylor, um, a Texas, an Iowa State, a Kansas State, TCU, all the way down to Oklahoma, if it's a road game, that's a quad one game. That's considered by the NCAA tournament to be a very difficult game. So you put that in perspective. Every single team in the conference, as of the day we're talking, is within the top 75 of net. That means a road game is a quad one win or a quad one loss. It means if you get that win, it's a it's a nice little boost for you. But it also means that if you lose, 
it doesn't hurt you that much. And you, you can kind of see it in some of the projections and bracketology. You go back to the Oklahoma State West Virginia game um, from the other night. Um, you know, West Virginia won that game pretty handily. It was a home game. It would have been a quad one win for Oklahoma State had they won, but it ended up being a a quad because it was at home. It was a quad two win for West Virginia. It still it still helped them. They're four and one in quad two wins. So even though they're five and eleven in quad one win, their quad one records five and eleven. They're four and one in quad two games, and you know they they really they actually moved up <laughs> in bracketology after mm-hmm. that game. And Oklahoma State didn't budge. They stayed where they were. They were on the bubble, but they stayed in the same place. So it shows you the power of the fact that every team in this conference is good. Every team in this conference has high-level performers. Every team in this conference kind of helps each other because they're so good. You know, it's like I said last year, you know, Kansas State was not a good team. Um, and that was reflected in their record. Um, you know, West Virginia was not a good team. They only won four conference games. There isn't a weak sister in this conference. You you can't go into any of these arenas and just assume that you're going to win like you can in some other conferences. It really is just incredible to watch this conference night after night and just see how games develop and, and see a team get up by 23 points and still and end up losing the game late, later in the game because these teams they're playing are so good. Yeah, uh, Matthew Postens is with us, of course, on HeartlandCollegeSports.com, talking Big 12 hoops as we do each and every week here. So, uh, Matthew, right now, I mean, if you were to buy a team you think is rising quickly, give me one buy and one sell. Uh, when you look around the Big 12 conference and say to yourself, this is the team that I think is potentially peaking at the right time, and this is the team that I'm, I'm concerned about right now as we're about a week out from March. Hmm. Well, I think the I think we talked about the two teams that I would be buying right now. I'd be Kansas and Texas Tech, and obviously they're on different tracks. Kansas could end mm-hmm. up being the number one overall seed in the tournament. Texas Tech might need to sneak in uh, when it's all said and done, but they're both playing their best basketball right now going into March, and that's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to say to your team, we're where we wanted to be in March when we started working on all of this in October. And, you know, those two teams to me right now are exactly where they want to be. If I'm worried about any one particular team, um, it's probably Oklahoma State. You know, they were really hot there in the first part of the month. Uh, they got themselves, you know, to uh, into a winning record in conference play. And now ever since they've lost Avery Anderson, they've their offense has kind of fallen off a little bit. They've lost three in a row. They're under 500 in, in conference uh, now they have 16 wins and they've got three more conference games to play. So there are opportunities for them to help themselves in terms of, uh, you know, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. But they're they're the bubble team that I'm the most worried about because one of their leading scorers is out for the rest of the season. And that has made their life offensively more difficult. Matthew, um, before we get into this weekend, I just want to propose to you and talk to you about something that. Uh, you wrote about, and that is about Big 12 expansion. You wrote about this on the website, whether or not Brett Yormark could target the Big East for basketball expansion. We know this guy uh, knows the East Coast very well, Brooklyn Nets, Rock Nation, Jay-Z, everything else. Uh, we know that Yormark is thinking outside the box. We've seen the Gonzaga rumors. I've made the case against it, but I somewhat understand what he's going for here. What do you think about you know Brett Yormark, 
looking at the Big East, what that does for this league, what that does uh, for this brand moving forward? Well, it was something he said during a podcast with John Canzano and uh, John Wilner, who uh, covered the Pac-12 uh, out West. Um, they were talking about basketball, and, and your Mark mentioned how he felt that like college basketball was undervalued when it came to television. And I, I couldn't agree with them more. Um, college basketball to me is a tremendous product and it, it does not get near the attention that it really should until you get to March Madness. It makes up about 20% of um, the power conferences, television contracts. He's talked about, you know, wanting to generate as much re revenue as possible for his member schools. He's talked about expansion. He's talked about, um, you know, wanting to increase the the conference's footprint. He's talked about, you know, wanting to improve basketball revenue and the fact that he thinks that basketball overall is undervalued. So if you're thinking about expanding to schools that don't play football at a, at a high level, you know, obviously Gonzaga is an option, but it takes you out West. The Big East is an interesting option because you have so many basketball schools that are in big markets. You just think about Georgetown's in D.C., Villanova's in Philadelphia, DePaul's in Chicago, um, St. John's is in New York City. You could even make a case for Seton Hall. You know, I think it's in Seton Hall in New Jersey or New York. I can never remember, but it's in that market. And, you know, if you're if you're trying to add eyeballs to your conference purely from a basketball perspective and you're trying to add big markets, that's a way to go. It would give the conference uh, an Eastern footprint for basketball. Um, it would help out West Virginia and Cincinnati, obviously, from a travel perspective. Um, it could help drive more revenue for the conference. And it really doesn't disturb what you're trying to do going out West, trying to add more football schools, if that's part of your goal, because none of these schools are really interested in playing football at a high level. Villanova and Georgetown both have football. So does Butler. They play at the FCS level. I don't think they're interested in moving up. UConn is the only school that plays FBS. They play independent. They left the American Athletic Conference because they wanted to go back to the Big East and play basketball there. I don't think they really care about joining a conference as it relates to football. So if if that's, if that's something he's interested in, if that's a, a piece of the puzzle, that could be an interesting move for him to make. And certainly he has revenue to offer. The Big East television contract is not, not fantastic. I mean, it pales in comparison to the Power Five contracts, but those schools are only generating about five million a year from their contract with Fox right now. So there's a there's a there's a case to be made if your mark wants to go to that direction to bring some of those schools into the Big 12 to help further enhance the basketball profile, to drive revenue for his membership, and in turn drive revenue for those programs as well. Yeah, it's just it, it is jump change, as you point out. I, I just wonder, you know, we saw the Big East try this uh, and it was very successful in the basketball court. But you had that like yep. half the conference was a basketball school. Half of the conference wanted to be a football school. And then ultimately it fizzled out. So uh, like how should your mark view that historically based on what happened to the league? Yeah, and I think that's something he should scrutinize and something the big 12 schools that are currently in the conference um, should scrutinize as well. The one thing I'll say is that, you know, the big East was trying to solve a football problem because Syracuse and Boston college and uh, Pitt all played football at a high level and didn't have a conference uh, back in the eighties. Um, there was one point where they were actually worried that Penn state was going to start a conference and invite these schools to join them. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I think um, that's where all of this, you know, inflated carriage that the Big 12, Big East took on for football was they were trying to give those three schools enough coverage to have their own football conference. Because the Big 12 is already kind of covered in football and they could certainly expand out West and grab schools that play all sports. You know, this to me would be more of an add on. This would be more of, you know, accentuating what you already do well from a basketball arena and it would be less of an issue. I don't want to minimize it. I mean, it is a big deal when you have schools and conferences that have different agendas. My alma mater is Stephen F. Austin. It's in the Western Athletic Conference. Roughly half of those schools play football. Roughly half of them don't. So you're dealing with two different audiences that have two different agendas, and that's a lot to negotiate. But when you're dealing from a position of consistency and stability like the Big 12 is now, I think it's something you can entertain without disturbing that balance too much. Matthew, I got a minute. Give me the best game uh, this weekend. Uh, it's probably Texas Baylor, but if it's not, what is it? TCU, Texas Tech. How about that? It, it's it's an interesting game because it's in Lubbock. And, you know, TCU, I feel like, really needs that win. And obviously, Texas Tech needs it as well. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Oklahoma State found a way to beat Kansas State with that game being in Stillwater. Um, I, those are the three games that kind of interest me the most. I think Iowa State's got Oklahoma. I think that's a game that Iowa State can can I'm not going to say handle with ease, but I think they're definitely the favorite there. And then Kansas and West Virginia. Hey, you know what? Bob Huggins gets a fifty thousand dollar bonus for charity every time he beats Kansas. So I I think West Virginia will make that a game, but I think Kansas will will eke by. There you go. He is uh, Matthew Poston's the best. Great to have him on, Matthew. Appreciate you being here, my man. Thanks for the time. Hey, no problem. He is, uh, once again, Matthew Postens. I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. And as always, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, we appreciate you taking 30 seconds out to do that. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right.